You are listening to When Good Churches Go Bad, a sermon taught as part of the Divine Physiology series preached at Hocassin Baptist Church in the spring of 2008. Today's teacher is Rick Bino. Good morning once again. Nice to see you this morning. Welcome to the final sermon in our series entitled Divine Physiology. I say it's the final sermon in relation to the core elements of the series, but I know that Pastor John next week is going to be doing one more sermon related to the church. Uh, But this is the last sermon in the series that sort of uses the divine physiology body imagery. So, if you think of this sermon series as a book, today's teaching would be the final chapter, and then next week's teaching would be like the appendix. For those of you who don't read books, if this sermon were a DVD movie, this is the last scene, and next week is the bonus material. All right, so if that helps, just want to make sure whatever image works for you, you run with it. So I... So I have the privilege of sort of wrapping up this imagery of the divine physiology, this idea that we as a church are the body of Christ. And what does that mean for us, that we are the body of Christ? And we've been looking at applying these teachings, not individually, but as a church, we are the body of Christ. Over the weeks, we've looked at the head of the body and how the systems work. We've looked at the parts of the body. We've even looked at the cells in our body. We've kind of gotten more and more focused in our in our attention, and in this last sermon, we're going to sort of expand back again. And we're going to ask the somewhat practical question in looking at the body as a whole, and that is, is our body healthy? And how would we know if it wasn't? What is the criterion for determining the health of a spiritual body like ours? As parents, when my wife and I took our babies to the doctors, when they were not sick, we said that we were taking them on well visits. Are you, are you familiar with this term? Well visits. Now they're a little older. We don't do well visits anymore. We do yearly physicals because schools and sports require yearly physicals. Interestingly, though, when I grew up, we didn't use the term well visits or yearly physicals. We used the term checkups. Are you familiar with this? Your mom would take you to the doctor for a checkup. You're eight years old. It's a nice summer morning. You're sitting on the couch, innocently eating your Fruit Loops, watching Bugs Bunny on the one UHF channel that comes in at your house. I'm just making the story up. This is just hypothetically speaking. You're sitting there with your Fruit Loops. You're watching Bugs Bunny. You're not bothering anybody. You're an innocent, angelic eight-year-old boy. (laughs) Hypothetically. Your mom comes in and says those dreaded words. We have to go to the doctors today. It's time for your checkup. Now, as an eight-year-old, you you can't really describe the pain and the fear and the sadness and the utter range of bad emotions that comes over your body at this point. The dreaded checkup. You've been there. You've put your kids through it. I know. As a kid, you have no desire to go to the doctor when you're sick. The thought of going to the doctor when you're not sick 
especially when Looney Tunes is on. But it doesn't matter to mom. Mom doesn't care. Mom doesn't hear your arguments at this point. She needs to make sure you're not sick. It doesn't matter that you've told her you're not sick. It doesn't matter that you don't feel sick. She tells you, no, honey, this is the kind of doctor's appointment that you have when you're not sick. And see, as an eight-year-old, the logic of that totally escapes you. You go to the doctor when you're not sick? But the next thing you know, there you are, your little shorts and T-shirt, sitting on that cold piece of paper, getting poked and prodded and stuck until you feel worse than you did when you got there. And then you wonder what this whole doctor and medical profession is all about. But of course, the mom and the doctor understood something about all of this that you as an eight-year-old did not understand. And that is that checkups or well visits or yearly physicals or whatever you call them are essential in keeping us from getting sick. Checkups are evaluative, but they can also be preventative. You all know that many diseases can be stopped only if they're caught early enough, sometimes even before you feel sick. And what we have seen all along in this series is that what is true of the body, the physical body, is also true of the spiritual body, is also true of the church. It does a physical body good to have a checkup now and again to head off potential problems, and it does a spiritual body good to have a checkup now and again to head off any potential problems, to make sure that there's nothing brewing in our spiritual body, in our church body, that we might not yet feel, but that could someday kill us. And so it does well for us to have a spiritual checkup. And so I want us to have a well visit today, a physical, a spiritual checkup And I think all of us would say that we are a relatively healthy church. I don't think you need to take the Hocassin Baptist body and throw it on the operating table for major surgery. But that doesn't mean we don't check in on ourselves every once in a while and ask, are we healthy? But in order to accurately check ourselves, we need to know what we're looking for. How do we know if we're healthy? How do we know if we're not healthy? As an eight-year-old, I didn't know why they were doing all these things. Listening to my heart, hitting me with little hammers, what's all that about? I didn't know what they were looking for, but the doctor knew. They were looking for an uh, an unusual sound in the chest. They were looking for a clog in the ears, swelling in the throat. Make sure my knee did this when you hit it. I'm still not quite sure what that solves, but reflexes, right? To make sure we have the reflexes are working. The doctor knew what she was looking for and therefore was able to determine our health, my health. And so, too, we as a church can determine our church health if we know what we're looking for. And I want to suggest to you that these messages to the seven churches of Revelation offer us at least some criteria of what we can look for in asking the question and in answering the question, are we healthy? The issue of being a healthy church is important for all of us. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, But the world needs the church. The world needs you. And the world needs you to be healthy. The the world needs us to be healthy. The church is God's, one of God's blessings to the world. 
And therefore, when we say, are we a healthy church, we're not just, we're not just asking that question for ourselves. But we're asking that question for all those who know Hocassin Baptist Church and the people that are in it. You need the church too. And the idea of needing other people, the idea of needing the church, that sometimes runs against our American sort of individualistic, I can do it on my own, I pull up my own bootstraps and, and, uh, and, I, and I succeed. The idea of needing one another and needing a church can, can, can run against that. But the whole testimony of Scripture is that the gospel is for a people. It's sin that separates us. It's sin that fragments us. It's sin that, that isolates us. And it's the gospel that restores us to community and unites us and sets us in a place with others. Eugene Peterson says, The life of faith, yes, it's highly personal, but it's never merely individual. There is always a family or a tribe or a nation, a church. You may have heard people say half-jokingly sometime, well, it's okay if I go to hell. All my friends will be there. And I've responded to that by saying, there's no friends in hell. There's no relationships in hell. There's no friendships in hell because relationships is a gift of God in our lives. Sin does not foster friendship. Sin breaks friendships. Those who go to hell will be separated from God and separated from their neighbor. Those who go to heaven will be ultimately restored to both. God allows for and God fosters community. And this is the the entire biblical witness is, is this way. It starts from the very beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. Later it says, do not forsake gathering together. Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father. Love your neighbor as yourself. Bear one another's burdens. The whole testimony of Scripture is that the gospel and living out the gospel is to be done in community. And yet we often desire, and we sometimes hear people even talk about, having Christ apart from the church. They say, I love Jesus, but I don't really want to have anything to do with the church. I worship Jesus in my own way, my own style. I'm not involved in that quote-unquote organized religion. And so they try to have Jesus without the church. They want to be ardent followers of God, but they're cool when it comes to community. And on the surface, this may sound all fine and good, except for there's one little problem, and that is the Bible doesn't allow for it. Think of the scriptural imagery of the body that we've been using all along. What exactly are we asking for when we want Christ without the church? You're saying you want the head without the body. That's just creepy. And what it does is it maims the image of scripture that's given to us of the, of the fullness of Christ. Christ. 
You can't have Christ without the church. If you try, your faith is something other than the Christianity of the Bible. The church is the body of Christ. You all, however, are here. So you obviously have some understanding of the need for community and the need for one another. And therefore, as a community, once we've decided we need to be together, we come to our first checkup point, and that is, is Christ our head? Because in the same way as you can, you can try to have Christ without the body, you all know that you can have a body of people without Christ as its head. And so we need to constantly be asking, is Christ our head? The seven churches in Revelation are not identified by their spirituality or their programs or their dynamism, but simply by location. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Seven churches that are likely located along a Roman postal route, hence sort of the circular idea of it. And they're probably seven churches that the Apostle John pastored or oversaw prior to being exiled to Patmos, where he's writing these messages and receiving these visions. They are seven locations. You saw from the slides, they really existed. They were real people in real churches, in real cities. But while these churches are located geographically, they are defined theologically. They are defined by their relationship with Christ as their head. Each one starts not with the church, but with an identification of Christ as head of the church. Ephesus begins with Christ as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Smyrna, in Smyrna, Christ is the first and the last. In Pergamum, Christ is he who holds the sharp two-edged sword. In Thyatira, he's the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. In Sardis, he's the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In Philadelphia, Christ is him who is holy and true. And in Laodicea, Christ is the Amen, the ruler of God's creation. The church only has being in relation to Christ. There is no biblical church apart from Christ. And so we as a church must always ask, is Christ the head of our body? We must ask, like the Ephesians church, we must ask, have we, have we forsaken our first love? Have we wandered off to some other idea of, of the gospel that is maybe more hip or so-called progressive, but in reality has, has fallen from the high standards of Christ? All along, John has been preaching about the body from the book of Ephesians, which somehow between that letter and the time of John's letter had lost their first love, forsaken, actually, their first love. And so we as a church must constantly check ourselves and make sure that Christ is our head. Just prior to these seven messages to the churches, Jesus says to John that, that the, lamp, the churches are lampstands for the light of Christ. Christ is the lamp and we are the lampstands. If we do not have Christ, then we as a lampstand, we've lost our function. We've lost our purpose. 
to use the body imagery, without the head, the body dies. And so we as a church, if we expect to live and to thrive, we must keep Christ as our head. We may be located geographically on this plot of land, but we must be defined spiritually by Jesus. If we lose that, if we lose Christ, then we become just a location. We become just a red brick building at 505 Schoolhouse Road. We must maintain our identity as a true church by keeping Christ as our head. Secondly, these messages to the churches reminds us that what we do matters. Multiple messages to the churches, as you heard, start with with these words that I consider a little ominous when they come from Jesus. He says, I know your deeds. That should cause us to pause. We as church should pause when we know that Christ knows our deeds. Our deeds are not irrelevant. And some of the churches are praised for their deeds. Others are corrected for their deeds. The Ephesians are praised for their hard work. The Smyrnans for their standing up under slander. The Pergamines are praised for not renouncing their faith. The Thyatirans are praised for doing more than they did at first. The Sardinians, however, they're corrected for not having their deeds complete in the sight of God. The Philadelphians are praised for keeping God's word, and the Laodiceans are corrected for actions that are lukewarm. Our deeds are not irrelevant. What we do as a church, as a community, is important. How we treat one another within the community is important, and how we as a community, a church community, treat those outside of us is important. Whether or not we're growing spiritually is important. One thing that my children have always enjoyed about well visits is that they usually get measured, and they know how much they've grown since the last time they were measured. And so they come running home and they tell me there's some new number. And that's very exciting. And that's not a bad way to evaluate a church. Remember the Thyatirans, they're praised for doing more than they had done at first. This church is about 27 years old. We should be able to look back and say we are doing more and better than we did in the past. We have grown since the last time we checked. It is not good enough for our deeds to stay stagnant, or in the terms of Laodicea, it's not good for us to say, stay lukewarm. We should be growing, not just in numbers, but growing in maturity. And so we ask ourselves, are we maturing? Are we moving up the height scale in our spirituality? Our actions are not irrelevant. Jesus knows our deeds. And this can be a difficult trick for us. It's a difficult process to figure out how should we live, how should we act in the midst of the larger culture. And over the years, the church has kind of done a pendulum swing with this. Sometimes the church swings one way, and it totally rejects and condemns culture. It says you should have anything to do with it, don't even talk about it, build tall walls and live behind them. And then the church will swing all the way the other way, and then it'll become too much involved in the culture, accepting too much of the cultures, and we give up the biblical mandate that we have to be different. And so it kind of swings back and forth, and my suggestion to you is is that currently we're swinging in this direction. And that is, we need to be, we're all about, in a lot of church circles, we're all about being relevant, quote-unquote. Make yourselves relevant. Be real. Whatever that means. 
I had the unfortunate experience, I would say it was unfortunate, of listening to a podcast of a speaker at a big men's conference, big Christian men's conference. And he started off the conference by saying he wanted everybody to get real. Let's be real as men. Let's get together and be real. And in his first 20 sentences, he cursed twice, demeaned his wife, and made a homosexual joke. And I thought, no, I, I can hear all of that with my friends who aren't Christian. That's not what it means to be real. We don't need to show the world that we can sin. We know that. They know that. We need to show the world that we've discovered the way of forgiveness. And so we struggle to say and to do what is right. And that we as a church, we need to struggle with, well, how do we live and how do we interact and how do we act? But in all of that, we we need to understand that our deeds do matter to Jesus. In addition to that, we discover from the messages to the churches that what we believe matters. Several of the churches are condemned or praised for their ability to either to they're praised for their ability to fend off heresy or they're condemned for their willingness to accept heresy, heretical teaching, teaching that leads people astray. In the same way that a healthy church must check its deeds, so also must we check our beliefs. What we believe as a community matters, and it can be hard to figure out what we believe. There's something in us that sometimes want to say, you know, I just love Jesus, and somebody else can think about all that theological stuff. But in reality, we as a community are all responsible to think about that theological stuff. It's not John, it's not Pastor John's job to figure out the theology for us, but we as a community work on what is it that we actually believe. And certainly, we can't just say, we love Jesus, but don't really know anything about that theological stuff, if we are a maturing, growing church. Maturing, growing churches learn about that theological stuff. I should mention that statement doesn't even make sense, because your belief about Jesus is theological. So think about that for a second, and never say it. We love Jesus, and we're working on the theological stuff. We love Jesus, and we're trying to figure out what that means for this issue, and for that issue, and for this issue, and for that issue. What we believe matters, and that's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we have life groups and Bible studies. That's why we preach from the Bible. We say, bring your Bibles and read your Bibles. I can guarantee that that Pastor John would want you to listen to what he has to say from Scripture, and if it doesn't sound right to you, if something about it doesn't seem scriptural, you better email him, call him, talk to him. Because he wants to preach the truth of Scripture. And you want to receive and work through the truth of Scripture. What we believe matters. A healthy church understands the importance of its beliefs. Well, finally, in closing, how we respond to the Holy Spirit matters. We started off this, this whole worship time together saying, you who have an ear to hear, you need to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Our responsibility as a church is to listen to the Holy Spirit. Each of the admonitions or corrections that the churches receive are followed up with um, some sort of encouragement to correct it. 
The Ephesians are told to repent and go back to what they had done at first. Remember, they had lost their first love or forsaken their first love. The Smyrnans are told to continue to be faithful. The Pergamines are told to repent. The Thyatirans are told to hold on to what you have. The Sardinians, who had the reputation for being alive but weren't, were told to wake up. The the Philadelphians are told to hold on to good teaching. The Laodiceans are told to repent, to hear Christ's voice, and to open the door. When the Spirit tells our church to do something, we need to do it. When the Spirit moves in the people and the leadership of our church, when the Spirit moves in your heart and the heart of the community, we need to be people who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. My first couple of years that I was pastoring here at Hokesson, we were uh, still doing one worship service. And for those of you who have been around for a while, you know that the, the idea of going to two worship services sort of bubbled up and then would go back down. It would kind of bubble up. We'd talk about it. We'd go back down. We just kind of went back and forth about it in my first couple of years here and in the, in the couple of years before I came on staff. It just was something that we just sort of kept feeling out, just couldn't quite figure out how to handle it. Then one day we were at a, a church council meeting and the topic came up again. And the leadership of the church, the, the pastoral staff that was there, and the deacons, and the church council, and they all, we all prayed about it, and we agreed that it was time. We needed to go to two services. And so we kind of talked through it and kicking it around, but the problem was, I was running this meeting, and the problem was, it was 3.02, and the meeting was supposed to end at 3. And I started getting all organizationally anxious. You know what I'm talking about? You've all been organizationally anxious, right? The meeting's supposed to be over, but it's not. And you're sitting there going, it's supposed to be over, but it's not. So I started getting all organizationally anxious because it was 3.02. The meeting had started at 9 in the morning. People had stayed till 3. I didn't want them to get anxious. So I started to kind of try to say, I don't remember what exactly I said, but it was essentially something like, organizationally speaking, that we were going to send the idea back to committee even again. And I remember quite distinctly Terry raising his hand. He probably remembers too. And at 3.02, he says these words, and I quote, If we all feel like God is telling us to do this, then we need to do it. It would be disobedient for us not to. Three months later, we had our first Sunday of two services. And for us, that moment, Terry's words at that meeting, was the Holy Spirit saying, listen, I'm telling you something, you all hear it, you all agree on it, but if you don't move on it, then you're being disobedient. And I think that kind of thing happens in a thousand different ways in the church. The Holy Spirit speaks through different people, through the pastors, through the leadership, through the deacons, through this group, through that group. And that's what keeps us maturing and moving forward. Yeah, it might be risky sometimes to listen to the Holy Spirit. It may be outside our comfort zone. It may not be even something that everyone in the church is totally on board with. But if the Spirit is asking us to do it, then we got to do it. And so a healthy church is one that listens to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Well, I think all of us know that church life is not always easy. And unfortunately, I know, I've talked with many of you, some of you have been very hurt by churches in the past. You've been very hurt by Christians. Some of you have been hurt by our church. And I fear to say that there's probably a time where we'll hurt each other again along the way. 
But the testimony of these seven churches is that church isn't always the tidiest place. I'm not sure if the culture has changed a little bit, but when I was growing up, I had multiple friends who had a room in their house that you didn't go into. The living room. It was usually the living room. So me, back in my eight-year-old, I had this eight-year-old thing going on, um, you would just peek. I had a friend growing up, he lived down the street. I literally, in the first 12 years of my life, was in his house 5,000 times. I went in his living room twice. The living room was a polished room. It was dusted, it was polished, it was set just right. The vacuum marks were still on the floor, right? You didn't go into the living room. It wasn't a place where little boys went. And sometimes we wish the church was like that. Polished, nice, vacuum marks on the floor. But the problem is this. The church is not a polished living room. The church is a messy family room. There's going to be a ring left by somebody's coffee on your coffee table. Somebody's going to leave their socks where you would not think they should have left their socks. And they will not put the remote where you can find it. (laughs) But you know what? There's something oddly dead about that room that I never went into. And there's something oddly dead about churches that aren't lived in. So we're going to live in it. We're going to live together as a community. And we're going to take the good with the bad because we understand that with Christ comes his body. And so we'll celebrate the fact that we are part of his church. Amen? Amen. Amen.